Got your Bible? All right, we'll open it up to Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to be in the book of Jeremiah tonight. We're going to talk about God's way to brag, God's way to boast. That's kind of an unusual title, I know, but I hope you'll see what I'm talking about as we go through the message tonight. By the way, I, uh, I know a lot of you have prayed for me for years about kidney transplant I had. I had a regular checkup yesterday at Vanderbilt, and everything is A-OK. It looks really good. So, again, thank you for praying, and I'm very, very grateful. I'm doing well. I'm feeling good. And uh, if I knew how to dance, I'd dance a little jig, Sam, you know, but I just don't know how to do that. I'll, I'll spare you that one. <laughs> All right, we are in Jeremiah chapter 9, <clears throat> and verses 23 and 24. These are two of my life verses, and God has spoken to my heart many, many times from these verses. And so tonight I want to share them with you. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, says the Lord, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So tonight, Lord, we pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. We pray, dear Father, that you would bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And Lord, we pray that we might not only hear from you, but Lord, that we might do whatever you call us to do, that we might be obedient to you, that Lord, uh, we might uh, boast about you and brag about you. For Lord, you are worthy of all honor and glory and praise and majesty. And Lord, tonight again, we want to pray for the folks over in Ukraine. That situation is just so bad over there. We pray for the safety of the Ukrainian people. We pray the war will end soon. We pray that the Ukrainians can um, have their country back and uh, that, Lord, you would do a great work there. And also tonight, Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We thank you for Israel. We thank you for our Jewish friends, and we pray, dear God, that you would bless them in uh, every way that honors you. So, Lord, again, thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Thank you for this time together. And we pray you'll uh, anoint the preaching of your word tonight in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, folks like to brag about stuff sometimes. I heard about two little boys who were bragging about their daddies. One little boy said, my daddy makes more money than your daddy. Other little boy said, well, my daddy can beat up your daddy. Other little boy said, well, that's nothing. My mom can beat up my dad. So, <laughs> Folks like to brag sometimes. That's what we're talking about. When I use the word boast in the title, and uh, when the Word of God here uses the word glory, it can also be translated as boast. So that's what we're talking about tonight. What th- kinds of things do people boast about, and what kind of things ought people 
to boast about. First of all, point number one you see there in your outline is the tendency to boast. The tendency to boast. Look with me again at verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the mighty man in his might, nor the rich man in his riches. Obviously here, Jeremiah, who is speaking here, what the Lord says, is telling people what not to do. When he says here, let not the wise man, what it means is don't even go there. Don't glory in your wisdom if you're wise or in your might if you're strong or in your money if you are rich. Do not even go there. That's, you know, when you think about it, that's what a lot of people will boast about in our day as well as I'm sure in Jeremiah's day. Otherwise, God would not have told him to write that. And so what is it that people brag about? Well, people brag about how smart they are. Now, I know uh, intelligence and wisdom are not the same thing, but we translate it into our culture today. People, oh, they're just so smart. So-and-so is smart. And uh, a lot of folks are bragging about their, how smart they are. Other people, they want power. They want might. Uh, in some ways, that's what uh, some politics is all about. Uh, just uh, getting as much power as you can. Get as, as much might as you can. Strength uh, in the ballot box, in the office. However you can get there, what you're looking for is power. And this is just not in the politics. It's uh, in business. It's in education. It's in almost every field that you can think about. Folks are just looking for power. And also, they want to brag about it. They, they brag about how rich they are as well, how many jets they own or how many uh, billion-dollar homes they have and how often they travel to this place or that place. A lot of people brag about how smart they are or how wise they are, also how much power they have as well as how rich they may be. There's some examples in the Bible of folks who bragged. There's a man who goes by the name of the Rabshakeh. We're told, uh, that's really a title, but we're told about him in 2 Kings chapter 18, where this man is a servant of the king of Assyria. Now, Assyria was a pagan nation just north of Israel, and uh, they were enemies uh, of each other. So there was a time when the king of Samaria was going to, in, rather the king of Assyria was going to invade Samaria. And so he sent one of his uh, leaders to the people of Samaria to warn them that he was coming and that uh, when he came, he was going to invade them and uh, they were not going to survive. They were going to, it's just going to be horrible for the people of Samaria. And he said, in fact, my master is so confident of victory that he's willing to give you 2,000 of his own horses if you've got riders to put on them. In other words, Samaria, you're not even strong enough to have riders if you had the horses. So he is uh, criticizing them and he's bragging about his king. He is bragging about all the strength and power and might that the nation of Assyria had. And then there was another man in the Bible named Simon Peter 
who uh, kind of overstated his abilities. You remember when Jesus spoke to him in Luke chapter 22, and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. And when he said you, that's all of the disciples, he meant. He's desired to have you that he might sift you, and he was speaking specifically about Simon Peter, that he may sift you, Simon Peter, as wheat. And you know what Peter's response to that was? You may remember. He said, Lord, I am willing to go with you wherever you go, even to die with you if I need to. So Peter here is confident in what he's able to do. But it turns out he was a little bit overconfident. Well, not only people in Bible times brag, but there are other people in our recent history and more recent history that uh, were uh, kind of uh, braggarts. There was a boxer whose name was Muhammad Ali. How many of you remember Muhammad Ali? It was a marvelous boxer, so talented and gifted and powerful, heavyweight champion of the world. and He was the greatest, and he didn't mind telling you that he was. In fact, he often said, I am the greatest. Before a fight that he had uh, with uh, Joe Frazier uh, many years ago, he said, nobody can beat me. I'm the best. I'm the smartest. I'm the prettiest, he said. He said, I ought to be a postage stamp. That's the only way anybody could lick me. So Muhammad Ali was really full of himself. Then there was a man in England who uh, was driving his car on a highway over there at 88 miles per hour. He was uh, pulled over by the police. But this man, uh, he was a fast talker. So he convinced the police that it wasn't he who was driving, it was his girlfriend who was driving. And so he uh, got away with it, at least for the time being, until he started bragging about it on social media. I'll tell you what happened in a few minutes. <laughs> but people have a tendency to boast. And God said, let not the wise man boast, let not the rich man boast, and let not the mighty man boast in their own accomplishments, in their own strength or power or money or whatever it may be. Let them not do that. So secondly, let's talk about the trouble with boasting. Why would God say to the ancient Israelites, let not that man boast? Why would he say it to us today that we ought not to boast? Because there is trouble with boasting. A person who is boastful about his accomplishments or her beauty or whatever it may be is most of the time at least, maybe not 100% of the time, but certainly most of the time, it would, it would demonstrate a heart full of pride because they want other people to recognize them for what they've done or who they are or what they've been able to accomplish. And therefore, they have a lot of pride in their hearts and they want other people to recognize them for what they've done and for who they are. But also, bragging brings about 
undesirable results so many times. It sets people up for a gigantic fall. You remember that first man I told you about, the Rabshakeh, who said to people of a Samaria, my master will give you 2,000 horses if you've got anybody to ride on them. Well, you know what happened after that? The king went ahead and sent his army to Samaria. 185,000 soldiers of, of the Assyrians camped just outside the walls of Samaria in order to put fear into the hearts of the Samaritans. But God had other plans. Here's what happened. One morning, someone went out into the Assyrian army, and they found out that all of those soldiers were dead. All 185,000 of them. That's told to us in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verses 17 through 37. So what happened? What, what happened to all those horses, all those riders, all that strong and powerful army that the Assyrians had? God sent his angel and wiped all of them out in one night. So the bragging was definitely premature. Well, what about Muhammad Ali before his fight with Joe Frazier? You may remember that Joe Frazier beat Muhammad Ali right after Ali had made all of those braggadocious claims. So he bragged a little bit too much and a little bit too soon. And then what about Simon Peter? Simon Peter who had told the Lord, I'll go anywhere with you, I will go with you, and I will die with you. You may remember, not long after that, Peter denied even knowing the Lord three separate times. So what he said he would do was a little bit ambitious compared to what he actually did. And then finally, what about the man who boasted that he had gotten away with speeding in England? Well, the police monitored social media. And they saw him bragging about what he had done. They went to him again, and he, they took him to court, and the judge sentenced not only him, but also his girlfriend to hundreds of hours of community service. So if you want to brag, you better be careful about what you're bragging about and to whom you are bragging. The Bible says, Let not the wise man Glory in his wisdom, the mighty man in his might, or the rich man in his riches. And so the tendency to boast is to be done away with because there's trouble with boasting. Well, point number three is true boasting. And what's that about? How could somebody really boast and it be okay? Look at verse 24. But let him who glories, or let him who boasts, glory in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Well, as you read that verse right away, you can probably see that there's a huge challenge here. What does God say that a person can brag about according to this verse? Let him who glories glory in this, 
that he understands and knows me. Can anybody really say that they understand God? Anybody in here want to make that claim tonight? That you understand God? We don't understand each other, do we? We don't understand people. A lot of times there's miscommunication. People get upset. We get our feelings hurt or other things happen. Sometimes it's just because of miscommunication. There's misunderstanding. We don't understand what somebody said. We don't understand what they meant. We don't understand their motive. And so we get all crosswise from time to time with various people. So we have a hard time understanding each other. Women have a hard time understanding men. And men have a hard time understanding women. I wonder, would there be a man here tonight who would be willing to stand up and say, I understand women? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to... <laughs> I realized I was the one standing up <laughs> right after I said that. <laughs> no. We don't understand each other, do we? Let me tell you how poor I was earlier in my life about understanding women. After Becky and I got married... It was in June, in fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had our 45th anniversary. And so we got married in June, and then Christmas was coming. I was a student at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, and we came back home here to Memphis to have Christmas. And so leading up to Christmas, I said to Becky a couple of times, what do you want for Christmas? And she said, oh, you don't have to get me anything. And I was foolish enough to think that she meant that. <laughs> I asked her at least twice. So here we are at her home in, uh, over in East Memphis. And it's time to open presents. Well, let me give you a little more background. When my family, as, as I was growing up, my family, when we had Christmas, we'd open our presents on Christmas Eve. And it was a free-for-all. When it was time to open presents, everybody just ripped into their presents, and it's over in less than five minutes, you know. Everybody gets their presents, everybody's happy, and that was the way we did it. But in Becky's family, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a big free-for-all. It was a one after another. And so what would happen is there's this huge pile of presents in the corner where the Christmas tree was, and somebody would hand out all the presents to the various members of the family. The moms, mom and dad, her mom and dad, brother, sister, brother-in-law, whoever it might be who was there, we would get the presents and they would receive their presents. So when this dawned on me that what was happening, I started to sweat. Because I'm, I'm about to realize that because I didn't buy Becky a Christmas present for our first Christmas as husband and wife, not only is she going to know it, her whole family is going to know it. And so, here they go. Somebody opened a present. They'll, they'll enjoy it. They'll look at it. They'll look at the person that gave them the present and say, thank you. I just love it. It's so just what I wanted. Thank you. So one by one. So we go around five or six or seven or eight or nine times all the way around. 
And uh, man, the more times it went around, the more I'm just nervous and how am I going to get out of this? How am I, what am I going to do when the time comes? And it's going to be seen. Well, the time came, and it was obvious that I had not given her a present. And I guess that's the first clue I had that I didn't have a clue about women. <laughs> so, I, But two good things came out of it. First of all, she's never said that to me again. <laughs> when I've asked her what she wanted, if she says, you don't have to get me anything, I will pin her down, or she will volunteer. It's, not, it's one or the other. You don't have to get me anything, and I, I really mean it. I won't have my feelings hurt or anything like that. Um, so she's really never said that again in that way. And... I'm always careful to be sure that I've understood her. So if she does want something, I will be sure to get it for her. That's the way she knows she can get what she wants. She tells me what to get her. I go get it, and she gets to open it, and it's all good. We are both happy, and it is. We lived happily ever after. So when God says, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands me. That's a pretty big challenge, isn't it? But not only does he say understands me, he says, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. He understands and knows me. We'll never understand God fully, even in heaven, I don't think, because if that were the case, we'd become God. There's always going to be some mystery about him, We'll know him far better than we do now. Now we know in part, but then we'll know even as we're known. We're going to know him, but I think God will always be God and we'll always be people. But um, anyway, he wants us to know him. Look again at, these ver at verse 24. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. God wants us to know him. Let me give you some verses uh, in other places in the Bible that describe how much God wants us to know him. If you want to write down these uh, references and then look them up later, it might be helpful for you. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7, God says this, I will give them a heart to know me. You and I were made to know God. He has put within each one of us a desire to know Him. And therefore, we can come to know Him because He has given us that desire. John 17 and verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. His prayer to the Father is that they may know you, so when someone comes to know the Lord, it is a direct answer to the prayer of Jesus. If you're saved, you are an answer to the prayer of Jesus, that they may know you, the only true and living God. This is eternal life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 
so that you may know him better. This is one of Paul's prayers in the book of Ephesians. And he's praying that uh, for the Ephesians, and when he says here, so that you may know him better, he is speaking to the Ephesians, writing this prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, God uh, wants us to know him. You can know him better now than you did yesterday. And that ought to be our heart's passion. Psalm 9 and verse 10, those who know your name will trust in you. Those who know your name will trust in you. Now, to know the name of God in this context does not simply mean that you've heard his name before and you recognize his name. No, it means that you know him personally. You know his character. You know some things about him. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8 says, Those who do not know God, that verse is speaking about God judging those on the day of judgment who do not know him. So God's desire and God's plan and purpose for every life is that each person made in the image of God, and that's everybody, comes to know him. God wants you to know him. And after you've come to know him, he wants you to know him better, that they may know me and understand me. A way to understand God's word better is to live in his word, read his word, study his word, listen to Bible teaching and preaching of the word of God. That is how you get to know God better through his word, through prayer, uh, through the circumstances of life, as you walk by faith, he will reveal more of himself to you. You will have a deeper appreciation for him, a greater love for him. You will know him and understand him more than you do now if you and I will continue to walk with him day by day. So notice here that um, there is God has this desire for us to know him personally. Notice here again in the middle of verse 24 that I am the Lord. And as I've told you before, that word Lord is all caps. That means it's his proper name, Jehovah or Yahweh. He says, I am the Lord. That's the personal covenant name of God. He wants you to know his name. Just like the psalmist said, those who know his name put their trust in him. Also, there's a practical knowledge that he wants us to have. Notice here at the next phrase of verse 24 that I am the Lord. And what about the Lord does he want us to, to understand more? Exercising loving kindness, judgment or justice, and righteousness in the earth. Let's talk about those three things just for a, moment, for a minute. The word here, loving kindness, is one of the greatest words in the Bible. It is the word uh, in the Old Testament that's translated either loving kindness or mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Because we're sinners, we deserve to be separated from God forever and spend eternity in hell because we're sinners. That's what we deserve. But God's mercy, his loving kindness, keeps him from immediately judging us the first time we sin and sending us on to hell. It is his loving kindness 
It is his mercy that is the first order of business that you and I need. Before we get saved, we've got to have the mercy of God. If it weren't for the mercy of God, we all would be separated from God forever. So the mercy of God is key. But also, he says here, that I am the Lord, I exercise loving kindness, judgment. So what happens when a, a person becomes a sinner? We become, when we, when we get to the age that we're old enough to understand the difference between right and wrong, then we are responsible before God for our actions. Therefore, God could judge us then because of our sin. Right, uh, so loving kindness, judgment. Why does God judge? It's very fashionable today for folks uh, who, who don't really know much about the Lord just to talk about the love of God. I love talking about the love of God. I believe God is love, as the Bible says. But so many times you hear people talk about the love of God without also talking about the holiness of God or the judgment or the justice of God. Because God is love and because God is holy, he must judge and punish sin. If he did not, he would no longer be just. He would no longer be God if he did not punish sin and judge sinners. And so, therefore, we must not only recognize the love of God and the mercy of God, but also the judgment of God. And how does a person learn more about their sin? The Bible says that through the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. Sometimes somebody says, well, I just want to be a New Testament Christian and just forget about the Old Testament. No. We need, all of it is inspired of God, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. It is His Word that He's communicated to us. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and, and, and for the preparation for the man of God might, might be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. So it's all Scripture, and we find there's some law in the New Testament, that is. There's the law of kindness. There's the law of love. Here's the new commandment Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another. So it's not that we're against law, but we also know Jesus came to fulfill the law, and yet it is through the law, that's why we need the law preached and taught, through law is the knowledge of sin. Therefore, when God says that let him who boasts or glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising first, he says, loving kindness, then judgment, and then thirdly, righteousness in the earth. So how does a person experience the righteousness of God? It is a gift. It's a gift that must be received. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, he died in our place. He died for the sins that you and I deserve to die for. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. He is still alive now. And when Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he said, let, 
he said, um, just a minute, it was on the tip of my tongue, so I know it's there. It's, it's back in there. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Well, I can't believe this. This is one of my favorite verses, and what's happened to it tonight? Somebody get that verse and read it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus died on that cross, he was dying in our place. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He was not a sinner, never committed any one, even one sin. But he was made sin for us that we in turn might be made the righteousness of God. We could receive the righteousness of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here the practical knowledge of God leads us to glory in him because of his uh, loving kindness, his judgment, and his righteousness. For in these, he says at the end of verse 24, for in these I delight, says the Lord. What does God delight in? These three things. Now, there are other things that he delights in, but he delights in these three things. So let me ask us all the question tonight. Do you and I, do we delight in these things? It's what God delights in. If we want to know him, understand him better, and, uh, and learn more about him, shouldn't we also delight in what delights him? Loving kindness, glory in the mercy of God, judgment or justice, glory in the judgment of God, and righteousness, glory, brag about the righteousness of God. Because if it weren't for his mercy and his judgment and his righteousness, we would all be undone. And so we have tonight the tendency to boast, we have the trouble with boasting, and then we have true boasting. What is true boasting all about? It's boasting about Jesus. It's boasting and bragging about him, the one who did for us that work on the cross so that we would not be separated from God forever. He did that so we could know him. How does anybody come to know God? The only way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the mighty man in his might, the rich man in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord.